Therapy in Seven Words. I am your co-host, Judy Alexander, and I'm here with my husband, Dr. Bruce Chalmer. Well, hello, Judy, and hello, listeners. And you know, I'm not saying anymore, hello, viewers and listeners, because we made a decision, actually, this very morning, mm-hmm. <laughs> before we did this, made a decision. I'd been thinking about it, and then we actually talked to our son, who knows a lot about this stuff, uh, and decided we're just going to go with sound because it's easier for folks and, you know, it's not like our video uh, was so fabulous that it was, you know, right. <laughs> it was super duper uh, production values. people were just listening to us anyway. And people were listening anyway. Right. So, hello, listeners. Um, here we are, and our title for today is... Parents as Imperfect Heroes, an interview with DJ Stutz. And we just finished doing the interview with DJ Stutz, and she is really... A very interesting person, and, and we had a lot of fun talking with her. We hope you'll have a lot of fun hearing the interview. She's a early childhood educator and um, has, does a lot of coaching with parents. And uh, we talk about those issues and, of course, uh, how it relates to couples being couples as well came up in our conversation. Mm-hmm. So we hope you'll enjoy that. Um, in the meantime, let's put in a plug for, first of all, this podcast itself. Uh, we would like you to like us and rate us and share us and all that kind of stuff that you do in interacting with uh, media these days so as to let other folks know about it and just plain let your friends know about Mm -hmm. it. Our website is ctn7, that's the number seven, ctn7.com, CT of course for couples therapy, ctn7.com and uh, tell folks about that. That's where you can hear all of our episodes to date. This uh, this one is number 82, so Mm -hmm. we've we've had a few episodes out there. And uh, also, when you go to ctn7.com, you can acquire for yourself and those you love merch. Uh, this is where, when we were on video, we would hold up our, our cups, you know. Our mugs. We have our beautiful uh, Couples Therapy in Seven Words mugs where Judy designed a lovely logo on one side. And then on the other side, it has the seven words, which are Be kind, don't panic, and have faith. And so that inspiring message is there when you are having your favorite beverage. And it's a lovely way to start your day, end your day. Be in and the t-shirts, of too. And we have t-shirts, and yes. And they make wonderful gifts. They do indeed. And I just uh, not that long ago, I, somebody who was talking with was saying, I've been telling everybody about your seven words, and I didn't realize you have merch. And she was saying, well, she's got gifts for all the friends there. There so you go. There, There's an idea for you. And let's also put in a word for... The book that started all of this. Yes, the book is called Reigniting the Spark, Why Stable Relationships Lose Intimacy and How to Get It Back. And that book is available anywhere you acquire books. Uh, if you want to get a hold of the audiobook, which has proven to be one of the more popular, the I don't know if it's the most popular medium. Anyway, one of the more popular media. Uh, you can get that via the Amazon site. I did the narration myself. So you get to hear me um, narrating the book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also on ebook. Also an ebook uh, uh, for Kindle. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can get it in paperback anywhere books are sold. Um, and I also am not above putting out a little uh, promo for my upcoming book, which upcoming in a few months time. It's not happening right. immediately. It's uh, in, <laughs> I'm working on rewrites now from some wonderful uh, feedback I've gotten. Uh, but I will tell you the title. The title of it is it's not about communication, 
why everything you know about couples therapy is wrong. Uh, and I hope you find that's a provocative title and we'll keep you know plugging that until you actually can get a hold of the book. And of course, we'll have a great deal of uh, fanfare when we announce that sometime a few months down the line. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, let's turn to our interview with DJ Stutz and uh, we will be with you on the other side. DJ Stutz is an early childhood specialist with more than 20 years of teaching experience. DJ has an immense love for children with five of her own, 12 grandchildren and 70 nieces and nephews. She fully understands the challenges and concerns that come with parenting. She offers parent coaching in group or one-on-one -on -one sessions to support parents in their most important job. On her podcast, Imperfect Heroes, DJ and her guests offer episodes whose subject matter is designed to help parents develop the confidence and peace to become imperfect heroes, raising independent, productive, and happy children. DJ, welcome to Couples Therapy in Seven Words. Well, thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. We're very delighted to have you. So kind of wondering, how did you get into working with kids in the first place? I mean, you mentioned you've, you, you have come from a large family and you've got lots of uh, grandchildren and nieces and nephews, but how'd you get into working with kids? Well, I've always loved being around kids. Um, and additionally, I'm the oldest of seven. My youngest brother was born the summer before my senior year. And I just have never had a time in my life where I haven't been surrounded by little guys and I love them. They are amazing. They're learning, they're challenging, and I love a good challenge and um, I'm just drawn to them. So I can I, relate uh, to that. <laughs> yeah. I, I should tell you, I'm, I'm not a therapist. Bruce is a therapist, but I was a, an educator for many years. I was a teacher, a preschool teacher, a school principal. So I, wow. I totally get where you're coming from. And, and I've always yeah. thought, especially I have to say that the kids, the ages of the kids that Judy was working with, I've always thought there's a special place in heaven for people who can pull that off. <laughs> I mean, I love kids like that. Uh, kids in those, I mean, I, both of us have actually trained kids for bar and bat mitzvah. We've done that a lot. And, you know, that's that age is right. Like they're 12 year olds typically. And mm -hmm. I love working with them one-on-one, -on -one, but a class full of them just <laughs> fills me with horror. And I'm so I impressed when I've seen, you know, seen Judy doing that. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm always impressed with people who are, who are good at that. But I also did the little ones too. I was a preschool teacher for several years too. That, yeah. was, that was tough. Well, and I spent <laughs> my last two years working with the district. I just retired in uh, end of May, but my last two years I spent with the school district working in special needs pre-K mm -hmm. where we gave kids who needed that extra help um, to help them prepare for success in kindergarten. And what a joyful experience that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually started my teaching career in a Tripoli preschool. So uh, wow. yes, lots of joys, lots of challenges, but mm -hmm. more joys than challenges. Absolutely. And speaking of challenges, so what do you see are some of the particular challenges that parents are facing these days? You know, I think one of the biggest challenges that parents are, young parents are facing today are the absolutely wrong messages they're getting from society right now. Ah. Um, and 
Well, I think that we are getting to a point where parents really don't know how to, I use the word discipline. It's not punishment. Discipline comes from the word disciple. And when you think of that, you know, it's someone who follows and a leader who is endearing and loving, but guides them in the correct um, way for success. And we have boundaries. And a lot of our young parents um, are having difficulty establishing those boundaries. And um, and so, you know, we're at a place where we, we're coming from these helicopter parents that a lot of our people grew up with. And so we jump in and want to fix everything for our kid without mm. giving them the opportunity to try to work through and manage it on their own. Even if they're angry with another friend or a friend took a toy that they um, had, or they feel like something isn't fair on a team or in a classroom or at the park, wherever, life isn't fair. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And so I've if they that. Yeah, you have yeah. you. <laughs> well, you know, when we've, we have grandchildren also, and mm -hmm. I've noticed that when we've gone with our grandchildren to a playground and seen other parents of kids, and I just, I remember, especially when we, when we were new at grandparenting, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, so we'd been a generation since we'd been hanging around playgrounds. And <laughs> sure. it was amazing to see how little the parents seem to be allowing kids to go ahead and work out their own issues. It's like everything was organized and they were constantly intervening. And it, it was, I was thinking, oh boy, this, <laughs> mm -hmm. this seemed difficult. Yeah, but this is what has been, you know, they have been told this is good parenting. This is how you're a good parent. And and so then now we're coming up with generations of, um, you know, young people who are now just now becoming parents themselves. And they really haven't had to solve a problem because the parents jump in every time, even through high school, they're jumping in and wanting everything to be fair and safe and whatever. Yeah. And um, kids... So then we wind up with adults who don't know how to work out and compromise and, and, you know, come up with answers and get the give and take and, um, and, and kids really need that opportunity. We don't, we jump in too fast. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the, uh, the ways this is manifesting, of course, in the mental health world is just this yeah. spike in anxiety cases, you yeah. know, the, the kids who go off to college and can barely function because they are so thrown by anything, you know, anything difficult. And yeah. they, they don't, you know, it's, it is, it is uh, indeed difficult. So, so how do you teach that hands-off approach? If you're, when you're doing your sessions and coaching, how do yeah. you work with parents on that? Well, it's nice with coaching because the reason they come to coaching is they're wanting to learn something new. They're mm -hmm. seeing that maybe their kids are out of control <clears throat> I've seen little guys, you know, kindergarten, for example, this was about two years ago. I had a, a little kindergartner and um, dad came to pick her up that day and she wanted to play on the playground before they left. And dad said, baby, I've got a meeting. We've got to hurry. Um, I'm going to be late. And it was amazing watching her go into control mode and pouting and you're not a nice dad and and the playground was right outside the windows of my classroom and 
as you know, the other kids were being picked up, I looked up and there she was playing on the playground mm-hmm. and for about 15 minutes. And so, um, you know, we need to be able to have these boundaries and say, you know, I understand that you're mad, but we got to go <laughs> mm-hmm. and you can be pouty and mad if you want, but we're going to go. Mm-hmm. And, um, and letting them kind of deal with that um, and not being afraid of kids that are angry or crying or saying mean things, because that's what little kids do. They're learning. They're trying to learn how to maneuver the world. And when you teach them that you get your way by pouting and crying and saying mean things, what kind of adults do you expect them to yeah. become? You know, of course, we're a, a couples therapy. We're, we're orientation. Our orientation here is toward couples therapy. It's couples therapy in seven words. And I often think that same insight. And I, I want to be careful how I say this because I don't mean that I don't think partners should infantilize each other at all. But there is a way in which you know one of the things I preach about is that people need to tolerate anxiety in order mm-hmm. to be honest with each other. And sometimes the willingness to tell your partner something that you're pretty sure they won't like or may not like, but take the risk anyway, because it's important enough, is a skill that a lot of couples don't seem to have. And it's it's very similar to the skill of telling a kid, hey, you know, I I know you're not going to like this, but we have to go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very true. I mean, I've been blessed. Uh, My husband and I have been married for 44 years Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we're the one and onlys for each other. And uh-huh. we've had some rough goes, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, that's part of marriage too. And I think that when, when these kids grow up and then they could, I have conflict within, and you're the therapist, but in my mind, they have the conflict within the relationship. Sometimes like, Oh, conflict, we've got to leave. We've got to split up because mm-hmm. there's conflict. Rather than I love you so much that I'm willing to work through this with you yeah. in, you know. Yeah. And best, it, yeah. Well, I think it tends to be as panic. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. I, I've never met anybody where I would say they split up easily. Do you know what I mean? Where where they just lightly say, oh, well, this isn't working tack with it. Those aren't the folks who come to a couples therapist. Right. The, the, the folks I see are struggling with it. But a lot of times what they're struggling with is that panic that they have a difference and it's not a, you know, there's the trivial differences you can just laugh about, but these are differences that feel important, but they don't know how to work through it without panicking. And mm-hmm. it's, it ends up feeling like an existential threat every time they have a difference that they, they can't immediately work out. And that's a skill. Again, it, it sounds to me like what you're telling parents is a very similar set of skills. It's like, you have to tolerate the anxiety of seeing your child whom you love not be mm-hmm. very happy with you for a little mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. And that is, or uh, even yeah. go through an experience that might be hard for them. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, someone is being a little bit of a bully, whether they're at school or on the playground or even within the home, within siblings, we, we have that as well. But giving them the skills to be able to walk away or, you know, to stand up for someone else who is being mistreated by another child. Those are skills that we're not innately born with. We have to be taught that. And so that's why like with you and the families that come to you for help, they're ones who are wanting to make the necessary changes to be more successful and to make their family more successful. Just as with me, 
when I have someone who comes in with either group therapy, group therapy, group coaching, or um, one-on-one coaching, they're there because they want to learn how to do things differently. And so Mm. I think just that desire to learn um, gives you a greater chance of success. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, it is interesting that I, one of my career before I got into clinical psychology actually was a statistician. I was a, I I got my PhD in psychology on the research side and then got the clinical training later. And so for a while I worked as a statistician and, you know, from my statistician brain, I always realized we do not get, you know, neither you nor I get random samples of folks. We get the folks who are actually interested in, you know, hearing from someone else, how might they change? And um, so the, you know, it's true. One of the privileges we have is to be invited in. You know, we are given standing with people to offer them, you know, offer them ideas, to offer them uh, ways that they can reconsider their assumptions so that things maybe can go better. And that's, that is, that's quite a privilege that we get to have. Isn't it? It truly is. Um, You know, the idea of parents as imperfect heroes it's useful for relationship issues between adults as well. Tell us how you came to that and, and a little bit more about that. You know, it was funny because I, so I have a, another company called um, Little Hearts Academy USA, and it's under that company name that I do the coaching and, you know, support in, in that way. And then I decided to um, try and reach out to a wider audience through the podcast and I'm trying to come up with a name and, and I'm running through things and I was running through some of my ideals um, as you work to come up with a podcast name. And you'll know this is what am I trying to express to my audience? Mm -hmm. And, and truly, I believe that nobody's perfect. And sometimes um, we, in all of our best efforts, our very, very best efforts, we're still going to be imperfect. There's nothing you can do about it. We're all going to, oh gosh, we're all going to be imperfect. And um, there hasn't been a perfect parent in the history of the world. And so, okay, let's let that go. And then, but heroes, a hero is someone though, who stands up against an adversity. And sometimes our our kids can be a bit of an adversity. Yes, they can. Yes. (laughs) They can, but we love them enough and we're strong enough to continue trying to do what's right for those kids. And so I I look at those parents as absolute heroes. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But, but I think understanding and not giving up because of those information, those imperfections are what makes people heroes. Yeah, I, I love that juxtaposition because it, it's indeed, of course, we're all imperfect. And to recognize that, yeah, that to be a parent is to be a hero as well. I just think that's a, that's a, mm-hmm. a beautiful um, yes, it is. You know, juxtaposition. And you remind me also of, you know, uh, D.W. Winnicott's ideas of, of course, he would refer to it as mothers, but it's often been expanded to par- more generally to parents. The idea mm-hmm. of the good enough mother or the good enough parent. Yeah. And as I understand it, he wasn't just talking about that you know, you don't have to be that great for your kid to be okay. He was really talking about if you're too perfect, you know, quote unquote, perfect, that that's not good for your kid. That right. part of what children have to recognize is sometimes mom or dad are not at their best. And sometimes they're not totally fair. And 
I, you know, I, I often talk with uh, parents about this and, you know, I, I'm noting, you know, you don't have to engineer times when you blow it. <laughs> you just have to recognize there are going to be times when you blow it. It's not that I'm <laughs> proud of the times that I kind of blew it with my kids, but those times were helpful to them as well, particularly to the extent that I was able to, to acknowledge it and be accountable for it. But also, you know, I've, I've often- They can see us as fallible. They can see us yeah. as fallible. And I would also point out, and this again, I think is something that, that um, maybe generationally hasn't been as clear to a lot of folks in, in younger generations. I would often say, you know, there were, there were times when I would apologize for how I would use my power as a parent, but I never wanted to apologize for having the power as a parent because kids need parents to have parental power. And again, it needs to be used responsibly and accountably. And I, you know, living in the culture that we live in, I would prize for my children that they feel able to object as long as it was respectful, but I never wanted them to feel like they could somehow negate their parents' power, because I think right. it's important that parents feel empowered vis-a-vis -vis their kids. Yeah, I mean, you have to have the final word, mm -hmm. and that's just it, um, and so I just did an episode, so I have a niece, every episode that ends with a zero, I have my niece back on, and <laughs> <laughs> so she is also the oldest of seven. She is the daughter of my only sister. I have five brothers and she's the mother of two. She's a teacher. She's a gymnastics coach. She's, you know, in the middle of all of these things. Her kids are going into first and second grade. Mm -hmm. And um, we just did an episode just laughing at all of the crazy stuff that happened with us growing up, growing up in a large family. And it's a miracle we are not dead. <laughs> 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 all the crazy my brothers would do it <laughs> yes yes and you know have having five brothers for me and she's the opposite there's uh two boys and five girls in her in in my sister's family mm -hmm. but anyway for me so boys are more physically aggressive mm -hmm. um just naturally and so for me to try and keep up with all these kids even though i was the oldest um my sister and I just kind of related to that more physical piece of life. And my mom was very physical as well. And um, so even though my dad, he has a PhD in electrochemical engineering and uh, he got that from Berkeley and then spent, I don't know, a million years <laughs> teaching at UCLA. And then he went on to uh, BYU until he passed. But um my mom was raised by lumberjacks and we joke around that that's one step up from wolves, you know? <laughs> I keep thinking of the, the Monty Python song. I know. It's <laughs> there you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so much so. But it's fun. So a lot of times those things that are crazy and maybe a little dangerous or were hard to go through at the time, we were amazed at, at how when we look back, those are some of our dearest, most tender memories. Sure. Mm, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, our, um, when we, we named ours couples therapy in seven words and the seven words are be kind, don't panic and have faith. And I'm curious, I know faith is a, a something that you've talked about in your work and I'm curious, Absolutely. how do you see the role of faith in parenting? What, and of course I, I define faith in a way that is not necessarily religious, though it's consistent with religious faith. It's not necessarily religious, but right. I'm curious, how do you see the role of faith in parenting? Well, and one of the things that I look at when I, when I'm doing my podcast and even in my life, um, I, 
I, I, I have a particular religion that I attend. I go, I'm a part of the congregation. I enjoy that, but I, I don't promote any specific religion. I, I look at faith probably a lot like you do as a recognition of a, of a greater being, you know, higher than us. I am close to the Judeo-Christian values. Um, and that's what I run by, but I just really think that having that faith teaches us so much about who we are and, 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 and the people we're supposed to be. And so when we talk about grace, you know, grace as a parent is so important. Mm. And my dad, bless his heart, his, his dad was very hard on him. And if they made a mistake, heaven help them all, they would hear about it for, you know, a long time and had struggled with letting it go. And so it's funny watching, I remember even being as a kid and watching how my dad behaved when he was around his dad was very different and thinking, wow, you know, you could see my dad was very worried about appearances and, you know, everything being just right because he didn't want his dad to be critical of him or what he was doing as a parent or whatever. And so those, those standings can continue on into adulthood with the adult relationship you have. And so, and, and recognizing that we are held to a higher power and we are meant to, as we, as we work to draw closer to that benevolent higher power that we need to be benevolent to those around us. Mm, So we need to be involved in service. And now can you do this without faith? You can. Um, it's just like I say, you know, the best situation, the gold standard for children is to be in a loving home with a caring mom and dad who care about each other. And does that mean that a single parent cannot be successful? No, it doesn't mean that. It's just the gold standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, certainly a lot of ways in which um, that it's interesting when you, you were talking about faith, the idea of whatever God means, you know, and of course, different religions and different uh, different systems that wouldn't be called religious, think of higher power differently. Thinking of 12-step programs, we're talking about, they're very yeah. careful to say higher power as you understand higher power. But mm-hmm. the notion of benevolence, I think, is the key. You know, when, the way I talk about faith is not necessarily with respect to an understanding of God, although, as I say, it's consistent with an understanding of God, but it's the idea that reality is right to be what it is. That's where benevolence comes from. It's like, even though we can't understand it all because we don't have a God's eye view of the universe, even though we, we haven't got all the answers, there's something right about the whole project. And that's where a sense of grace and benevolence, I think, comes from in being in a couple and in being in parenting. That assumption of goodwill follows mm-hmm. from that. And I think that's true in parenting as well. I agree totally. And, and just learning to be okay with where you are. Mm-hmm. We spend so much time. Well, when the kids get older, we can do this and that. Mm. When the kids do this and that, then we can move, you know? And so we're always looking toward what is coming rather than just soaking yourself in what is right now. Oh, wow. I've, I'm at the grocery store and I've got a, you know, a two-year-old or a three-year-old that's throwing themselves on the floor of the aisle, 
because, <laughs> you know, they want that chocolate milk or whatever, and I'm not going to get that, or I don't want to get that. And sometimes parents will give in and they're, they're so worried about maybe what other people are thinking or, mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. instead of saying, well, I have a child that needs some learning. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, yeah. and not worry about, because honestly, I mean, you know, I'm older and I know that when I walk by in a grocery store and I see a parent dealing with that, I'm not thinking, oh, what a terrible parent. This is, oh, you know, no. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, sweetheart, <laughs> this <laughs> shall pass. You're doing fine. I'll, you know? I'll teach you a, a Yiddish word. The, the, uh, we're Jewish. You know, I'll teach you a Yiddish word. The Yiddish word is Rachmanus. Rachmanus, which means it's mercy. <laughs> In other words, you, you have Rachmanus for the person. It's like, you know, we want God to have Rachmanus for us. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's how yeah. I feel when I see one of those parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but the parent that's dealing with it is thinking, everyone's thinking I'm a horrible parent right. and I've got to shut this kid up. And instead of just saying, wow, I can see you're really upset. And so you can choose to sit here and cry. We can go out in the car and cry. Do you want me to sit next to you on the floor and help you through it? But you're not getting the chocolate milk. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to give true. it to you, but it's this... okay. I, because their emotions, especially when they're that young, their inner emotions are just as turbulent and upset as what they're showing. Oh yeah. And if they learn real young, that, ooh, if I throw a fit and mom gets embarrassed or dad gets embarrassed, I'll get what I want. If I embarrass my parent in front of other people in public, I'm more likely to get what I want because they want me to shut up. And yeah. so that manipulation will develop as they get older. But this is where we're teaching them that, manip that manipulation either works or it doesn't. And so when I learn that I don't get what I want, when I'm screaming and crying and acting inappropriately in public, then I'll want the, the, the I'm, I'm going to quit doing it. Mm. And so we're setting ourselves up for failure when we're like, okay, okay, just be quiet and get them what they want. They've learned, Ooh, this works. This is good. Yeah. This is actually a very good segue to our listener letter because it, mm -hmm. it sounds a lot like it. So are oh, you ready for it? I'm ready. Okay, so Charlie writes, Dear Bruce and Judy, Maureen and I have been married for eight years. Maureen is a very carefree person, and I loved that about her when we met, because I am definitely more contained. It wasn't a problem before we had children, but now that we have a four-year-old and a six-month-old, these differences are quite apparent. We have very different parenting styles, and it's causing a lot of friction between us. Here are some examples. I would like to have the children have a certain bedtime, stay in their beds and be on a schedule. They need consistency. Maureen believes children should find their inner alarm clocks and go to bed when they want to. That means the older girl, Amy, falls asleep, usually on me or Maureen if we're reading or watching TV, anywhere between 8 to 10 p.m., Amy is no longer capable of going to sleep in her own bed. If I put Amy in her bed, she screams until Maureen takes her out. I feel that we should let her scream for as long as it takes for her to adjust to falling asleep in her own bed. Maureen always breaks down and brings her on the couch to cuddle. Meal times are also becoming a battle zone. Maureen will give Amy dinner. Amy will take a few bites of one thing and ask for something else. 
I'll tell Amy to eat something else on her plate to take a few bites of one thing or another. If Amy doesn't like anything on her plate, Maureen will go get something else out of the cabinet or fridge, and she'll keep trying something new until Amy is satisfied. I think this is a recipe for disaster. We're going to have a spoiled brat who feels she can get her way if only she screams enough. Maureen says her method is better because we'll have an independent child who will know what she wants and will be able to make up her own mind and form her own opinions. What should we do? Well, they could always sign up for some group coaching or, or, yes, me. <laughs> or one-on-one coaching with me, but <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but I think that sitting down and having a conversation away from Amy is going to be number one and recognizing that we do have different standards and, and then talking about for him to say, here's the plus of what I see that you do with Amy. And then have her have an opportunity to say, okay, and here's what I think I see that is good for Amy with this. I think that with bedtime, we could do maybe a compromise because um, in fact, I, I just, it hasn't even aired yet. I did a, uh, an episode with um, a lady that does a company called Little Z's and she actually talks about sleeping and helping kids get to sleep. Kids Amy's age at four, she needs um, 10 to 12 hours of sleep every 24 hours. So if she is taking a nap, that could be part of that 10 to 20 or 10 to 24, 10 to 12 hours. Mm -hmm. But she still needs to have that time. And she's going to sleep more solidly in uh, her own bed. So what's the compromise? How can we do this? Well, first off, we can start with a routine. And we're going to have pictures and Amy when you're done. So let's say that first um, we read a story or have a bath or whatever. And then we're going to brush our teeth and then we're going to brush our hair. And then we're going, you know, and, and so you have pictures of all of these things. And so that when she's accomplished and at four years old, she'll be more interested in something like this. When she's accomplished and you have it Velcroed on something, she can take it off and put it in a bag, an envelope, whatever, um, to show that it's done and you see what's coming next. That's one thing that you could do. And so now Amy is part of the process of going to bed. Now, if she's used to crying because she wants her mom there, sorry, mom, give up your TV time. You're going to go in the bedroom with Amy and you're going to start, you can read a story. You can listen to some music. You can stroke her hair. You can lie down next to her. And then once she's asleep, you can come out and then you can ease your way back from that. So it's not going to be, oh, tonight we're changing everything, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because uh, they've trained Amy that she has um, a control mechanism that works. Yeah. And so if we can compromise where Amy is getting that time with her mom and uh, she's part of the process that we have a set schedule and then Amy's getting the sleep that she needs to be functional because you're going to see, it's funny when I'm coaching parents and they'll say, oh, and they're doing this and this and they're angry all the time and they're blah, blah, blah. My first question is how much sleep are they getting? Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so then for dinner time, what I would do is just make sure that there is always 
something on the table that Amy will eat and they are going to know what that is. Mm. And so that whether, you know, you can pick probably even if it, if it's only maybe five or six things that we know Amy will eat, then we're going to have one of those things on the table for every dinner so that mom isn't getting up to make something else. You know what I mean? Yep. Mm -hmm. And, and, and she can have as much as she wants of that one thing. And if that's all she eats, okay, today, that's all she eats. Yeah. It's interesting. Parents will often panic about things. Oh my God, man, you know, my child is not going to develop properly without having the appropriate balance and somehow they manage to survive, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And sometimes it's surprisingly, they're good. There's, there's going to be mac and cheese and whatever, but Mm. there might also be something that's good for them that they like. Maybe it's strawberries or maybe it's bananas or maybe, um, you know, it's Mm -hmm. tomatoes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but any of those things, and if you have it on the table already, when you sit down, then she can make that choice. You guys are fine with that choice because you offered it with your um, kids and then you can um, knock it up and you'd not. So it's not like you're catering, you're not running a restaurant, Mm -hmm. but, but then they're going to ease into it. And I promise that when they get older and start going out on dates and all they want to eat is Mac and cheese they'll broaden themselves yeah they'll take care of itself <laughs> yes it will it, yeah. will it will eventually but i would just make sure that there's something that we know amy likes on the table mm-hmm. every night for dinner now it's interesting when you know because uh, from a couples therapy perspective this letter i'm seeing well there's a couple issue here you know couples issue and you actually mm-hmm. started to address it a bit when you know I'm, I'm thinking you know how would you coach them because you were saying invite this of course presupposes that Maureen would be willing to talk to someone else also which maybe she Mm -hmm. wouldn't maybe she wouldn't but you would invite them to really uh investigate each other's ways of thinking in a respectful way it's like well gee what are some of the advantages to your approach Uh, because I I tend to take that as sort of a sort of an axiom you know neither one of them is crazy neither one of them is cognitively impaired it's there are if they have these ideas they're not they're not crazy ideas. They, some may work better than others, but if you start from that perspective, you know, how did Maureen come by her, her feelings that it ought to be the way she thinks it ought to be and how did Charlie and to invite them to be able to see that, then it sort of loosens up the conflict a little bit. And I'm guessing you probably see this when you're coaching, you know, do you, do you ever coach couples or it sounds like you do, right? You coach. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And, and actually I think it's, well, I don't think I know <laughs> it is better when I can have both parents coming in. I've even had parents that were divorced and coming in to try and solve, you know, different parenting styles and how mm. do we do this? And that, sure, you know, sure. my it's child comes be... back from dad's house and she's out of control or mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is. And, um, and so I've even had and, and I just thought that was a miracle that they were mm-hmm. both willing to come and say, what's best for our child. I think maybe at the beginning, they were looking for me to say, well, his way's right or her way's, way is yeah. right. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I'm never going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to happen. Yeah. That, that's but, so important. That's probably even more important, you know, when parents are divorced to be able to be on the same page. 
Well, that's yes. quite a challenge. Because the truth is, if you agreed on everything, you'd still be together. Well, so that's true. Yeah, yeah. It, it's sort of normalizing the differences. And of course, you know, I, I also tend to think it's not like kids are completely thrown by the idea that the rules at mom's house and the rules at dad's house are up to be a bit different. It's what they need is that it be okay in both places. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That it be okay that it's different without it leading them into something where, you know, the toxic ones are where it turns out they will reject one or the other because they'll, they'll shop for the one they like better and the other one won't be supportive. And that can mm -hmm. be really problematic. Well, and a really easy, well, not easy. It's hard to get the words out sometimes with when you're divorced, because there's just so many other elements that are involved at that point. Right. Mm, sure. Yeah. But, but imagine what it would do to the relationship if you're dropping your child off at their dad's or you're meeting wherever, however you've got it. And the last thing you say to your child before they take off with the other parent is, I love you, mind your father <laughs> or the other way. Yeah. I love you. Be good to mom. Mm -hmm. Imagine what that does, not only for your child, but what that does for that relationship between the divorced people. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I've, I've seen this. I've, I've had that occasion actually of working with divorced parents in similar ways. And it, it's, it's always, I always find it inspiring, you know, when people can do that and actually be supportive of each other. And um, yeah. it's, you know, it is, it's, you can just see the kids relaxing to some extent. Sure. And, and you'll have such, the children will have such a better out, outcome mm -hmm. with that. Then if, if you have a child that is being thrown back and forth emotionally, like a pawn, it's a way to get back at so-and-so, oh, your mom re remarried, he's not your dad, you know, which we all know he's not, but you don't have to listen to him. You don't have to. And the truth is you say, yeah, he's not your dad. I'm your dad, but you need to be respectful. Yeah. To yeah. him. Very yeah. much. Mm -hmm. Indeed. So are there other things you'd like us to be asking you about? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think one of the things that, um, we as parents need to um, really concentrate on is what not what's easy for me or what am I used to doing? We always grow up with parents and we say, I will never do that to my kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we do it. <laughs> uh -huh. oh, we do it or we do the opposite, which ends up often having the same effect. Exactly. You know, because, oh my God. We're freaking out about it. You know, either way, we're freaking out and freaking out <laughs> right. tends not to work well. Yeah. Right. And I've seen parents who have come from very um, authoritative drill sergeant type parents. I'm not sure mm. if I'm using the right word. But you know, the, the, the buzzword. I can, I can give you the, I'm, this is from, oh, probably 15 or 20 years ago, at least, but they used to talk about the three styles being mm -hmm. authoritarian, which is, I think what you're describing, the sort of, mm -hmm. you know, drill sergeant approach, yeah. permissive is on the other end, and in between is authoritative, which is sort of the, the, the happy medium. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Yeah. So we've got the authority, so we've got people who grew up maybe with an authoritarian parent who was the drill sergeant, mm -hmm. would I say, don't ask questions, you know, mm -hmm. um, just do and, what I say. <laughs> yeah, because I said so. Mm -hmm. um, because I'll hit you if you don't. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got that. those. And then 
they grow up and they're like, oh, I'll never be like that. And they become this, the pendulum swings clear to the other side mm -hmm. and they become extremely permissive, which is just as bad for the kids yeah. as, yeah. as the other. And, and so it's so important for us to concentrate on what is best for my child, not what do they want, not, you know, what is easy, how, how am I going to make them love me? Mm -hmm. You can't make them love you, but you can treat, you can have those bounds. It's important to have those boundaries. So important. We don't do that as a family. Um, but here are some other choices we can make within those boundaries. So offering choices that are reasonable um, are so important. Just for an example, I'll just use this last year in teaching. My principal was in and um, she, was a, she wanted to observe one of the specialists. It was a behavior management specialist because um, she was going to evaluate her. And so they asked if they could do it in my class. And I was like, oh yeah, come on in. So I'm sitting there with the principal and the specialist up is doing her thing. And remember these last two years have been with special needs kids. Mm. And I had one little boy and um, he's, see, I think that's too young to put anyone on the spectrum or ADHD or whatever, but he had a diagnosis of being on the spectrum. And um, so he was just being, he was sitting by a chart and the chart was just too much for him to, he had to play with that and not listen. And it was kind of drawing attention of the other kids. And so I, I finally, I just went and sat down next to him and I said, Hey, buddy, I think it's really hard for you to sit by this chart and listen. Can you think now I'm turning over options to him, right? Can you think of a place that you can sit so that you can listen better? Cause mm. she's, this is a lot of fun that they're doing. Mm. And he was like, Oh Yeah. And so he went and they had, we had these little sit-upons that the kids would sit on. And so he picked it up, moved, and he was fine the rest of the time. But instead of me going in and saying, you got to quit doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Stop it. I'm going to move you over here. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a nightmare <laughs> and not done my specialist much help, you know, it would have actually been intrusive into her thing that she was trying to do. But because you know, so you, you can do it. You can give them choices within. And if you've been strong with those boundaries, it gets to a point where they don't even, they realize that their choices have to be within the boundaries and mm -hmm. they'll make choices that are within those boundaries. But if you come in and say, no, you can't do this, or you can't wear that, or you can't do this, you know, understand that you're taking away opportunities for them to practice making choices within boundaries. Who cares if their socks match? Who cares even if their shoes match? That's kind of a cool thing right now, wearing unmatching shoes. I and, haven't seen that one. I've seen the, the socks one. I haven't seen the shoes one before. So there we are. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, the shoes are there. And, um, you know, I, I, those are things that really don't matter. And so, so you can let them have within those boundaries. You've got to wear shoes to school. Okay, I'm wearing a blue sneaker and a white sneaker. Okay, fine. As long as they're on the right feet, we're good. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if if it's a if you live in a cold atmosphere or you know in the winters and they don't want to put a coat on, and that's a big fight in the morning getting them out the door. 
mm-hmm. night before throw the coat in the in the car yeah yeah you that know? is a classic actually that one it's like yeah you let the you know the natural consequences take over <laughs> it's like if you're cold yeah. you put on the coat you know yeah yeah but but i have i've seen parents though who well they didn't want to wear a coat and it's freezing and these kids mm. and a kid doesn't have a coat well mm-hmm. they'll learn it's like well yeah and they'll get pneumonia so let's find a happy medium mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is okay to notice that adults usually are smarter than their kids and it's okay to take advantage of that on occasion it's like you, you know the kid's probably going to change their mind you know yeah have the coat yeah absolutely so you know, I, I think that when we really just sit down and say, is this something that's important for my kid? Does my kid need to learn about conflict? And so what's my involvement in that? It's fun to do a practice night. And kids, when they're three, four, five, whatever years old, they love to just pretend play, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so to have an evening where maybe you know, you put a tie on the kid and put daddy's shoes on and say, you know, okay, you're daddy and I'm going to not listen to you. I'm playing with my toys (laughs) (laughs) and let them have kind of a reverse role or practice. You know, what are some of the things that you can say if, um, you know, I take a toy from you and you were playing with that? How can we resolve that conflict? And we make it into a fun game time. Um, And then when that actually happens, then that, you know, the chances are greater, not a hundred percent, but, and the more you play that when they're calm and have, you know, I don't know, game nights or play nights or whatever with your kids, when it's not an issue, that when it does become an issue, they're going to start learning to incorporate that and now you've given them some tools to keep in their, you know, emotional backpack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good advice. Indeed. Well, thank you, DJ. This has been very helpful and very instructive and very informative for us and for, I hope, our listeners. And uh, I will recommend that Charlie get in touch <laughs> with you. <laughs> and actually, could you tell folks your uh, website again so they get to hear that? And we'll, we'll also post that when we post the... Uh when we post this episode. Sure. So if you're interested in the coaching or, and I have uh, other tools that are available, I have some free workshops, stuff like that. It's www.littleheartsacademyusa.com. And then if you want to catch my podcast, it's Imperfect Heroes. And I that has a website, imperfectheroespodcast.com. And then you can jump onto whatever platform you like to listen to from there it's real easy well great well thank you so much for doing this and um you you, perhaps you'll be hearing from some folks who uh, (laughs) heard of you through this well great i'd love to have that and thank you Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with DJ. We certainly enjoyed having her on our program and learned quite a bit about uh, parenting and and children and their effects on relationships. Indeed, and especially, you know, the importance of, like, setting boundaries. And, you know, I'm always saying the importance of not freaking out. You know, right, that's basically right. basically what it is. Uh, yes, and... Which is hard. It's hard not to do, you know, especially if your child is having a fit. It Absolutely. 
And um, DJ is yet another of our delightful interviewees mm-hmm. that we've had, and we have a few more in the pipeline now. Yes, we do. And always looking for interesting folks to interview. And perhaps that is you, listener, uh, or somebody you know. But if it is, in fact, you yourself, uh, if you have something you think would be good for our program, we would love to have you. Um, go to our website, which is... ctn7.com. That's the number seven, ctn7.com. And when you go there, you will see that you can sign up uh, on our schedule mm-hmm. uh, to be interviewed. We typically uh, interview folks on Fridays, although this particular one happens to be on a Sunday that we're doing this. Right. Uh, so it's, we're not restricted to Fridays. Uh, but drop us a line. Let us know uh, if you'd like to be on the show or if you have a suggestion for someone else to be on the show. Or if you have a question like Charlie had today, uh, please feel free to write either of us, Bruce at ctn7.com or Judy and CT at 7. Judy at ctn7.com or just go to our website, ctn7.com, and you can pose your question to us. Indeed, and we are always happy to hear those, and it makes for great stuff to talk about with our guests and mm-hmm. even when we don't have a guest. Uh, so another word here for the book that uh, started this whole podcast, which right. is... Reigniting the Spark, Why Stable Relationships Lose Intimacy and How to Get It Back. And that book is available anywhere books are sold. So um, also please let everybody know about our podcast, right. of course. Rate us five stars, follow us, share us, you know, all that stuff that people do with social media. And so until next time... Remember, be kind... Don't panic. And have faith.